Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future with totally new sources of information that will change the way you run your business. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Yes, indeed. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place because this is where the best run. Let me open the show with a buzz. We usually have the buzz on the street here, and it's a quote from Sir John Wilfred Peace, P-E-A-C-E, quite alive, born in 1949, a British businessman, ex-chair of the British Fashion House Burberry, and ex-chair of Standard Chartered, a British multinational banking and financial services company. And here's the quote. The worst business decision you can make is no decision. The needs are not going to go away. Waiting is what's gotten us in this situation we're in now. So there you go. What are we talking about today? The move to an intelligent enterprise. It's not just about technology decisions. You think you get all the best tech, you get all the disruptive new technologies. That's not enough. It's about moving from, and listen up, everyone. This is important. It's about moving from emotion-based decision-making, that means people, to data-driven decision-making for your core business processes. This applies to every company around the world. Now, for the first time ever, 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 data science and big data technologies have converged to make this possible. So where does this leave the business and management consultants who for years and decades have been providing qualitative insights that have driven emotion-based decision-making? And you may, in our listening audience around the world, you may be bridling about the concept of emotion-based decision-making, but that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, we are going to be speaking in a few minutes with David Lynch, partner at Bearing Point, with Jan Philip Thompson, the VP of Business Models and Enablement at Salonis. We've had many people from Salonis on the shows before. And Keith Grayson, Senior Director of Database and Data Management Solution Management at SAP. And I have a, okay, good. And we have David, so I'm glad to hear that we have him. So let's go around the table. And first up, I'm going to introduce David Lynch in just a moment. And David has sent us a wonderful quote from Yuval Noah Harari. We have had quotes from this gentleman before. Uh, He is the author of the critically acclaimed New York Times bestseller in international phenomenon, Sapiens, as in Homo sapiens. And this is his new book called Homo Deus, D-E-U-S, A Brief History of Tomorrow. And he explores all kinds of interesting topics about things like more people die from eating too much than from eating too little, more people die from old age than from infectious diseases, more people commit suicide than are killed by soldiers, terrorists and criminals put together. What is happening with our world? Those are some of the fundamental questions asked in the book. Here's the quote David Lynch has provided. Quote, knowledge that does not change behavior is useless, but knowledge that changes behavior quickly loses its relevance. The more data we have and the better we understand history, the faster history alters its course and the faster our knowledge becomes outdated. David Lynch at Bearing Point, welcome. How are you? I'm very well, Bonnie, and and thank you very much for uh, the opportunity to come on the show today. Delighted. I've had quotes from Yuval Noah Harari before. I don't think this exact quote. It's a very long one, David. So can you relate it to our topic today? Let me introduce formally to our listeners. The topic is, will bots, we all know that, artificial intelligence, robots, bots, chatbots, will bots drive business transformation? So that's what we're grappling with today. David, how does this quote relate to our topic, please? 
Yeah, the, the, the reason I chose this quote is because I think it really speaks to the, um, you know, the, the rapid and increasing rate of change that, that's affecting many, many aspects of life and probably more and more aspects all the time. I mean, if you look at, you, you can probably find lots of graphs that, that are kind of a hockey stick graph that show you know, steady progress through the 20th century and then a rapid vertical line as we, as we get towards um, current times. Things like population growth, Moore's Law, and, and, and many others. And I think this is really um, applicable to business because new technology is really, really changing the way that businesses have to operate and, and how they have to compete to survive um, on an ever-increasing basis. So businesses, to my mind, have to be agile. They have to react to change. They have to react to competition. And the only way they're going to be able to do that is to understand, you know, how their processes work at a very granular level. And my own background is, is ERP and, and business systems. And many, many clients have uh, many years' worth of data that define exactly how their businesses work and what happens in their businesses. And it's only now that they're really able to put that to use with big data technologies like process mining. Thank you very much. And, and David, just to go back to the idea of knowledge that does not change behavior is useless, but knowledge that changes behavior quickly loses its relevance. Is this, uh, I, I want to say, a, a tautology, meaning circular reasoning, or is this a redundant type of thinking? Do you agree with this in terms of, let's talk about very briefly the knowledge that goes into the algorithms for machine learning algorithms that, that are used in creating the bots and how they respond and natural language processing, all these exciting disruptive technologies we're going to be talking a little bit about today. So do you think it's changing so fast that things are outdated before they're even put to good use? What's your thought? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, um, it, it's probably a bit of an extreme statement in that context. I think the data doesn't lose all its relevance immediately, but there, there is a constant um, state of flux and state of change that, um, you know, in, in terms of AI now is, is, you know, beyond even, you know, sometimes our understanding that, you know, I think artificial intelligence is, is sometimes making decisions and the designers of, of those algorithms don't actually know the basis upon which those decisions have been made. It, I think there was an example there a number of years ago where the stock market crashed and, and recovered uh, very quickly and nobody even knew why that happened because algorithms were reacting to... Um, the data that, that was present that nobody actually knew was, was, was causing these, these things to happen. So I think it's, it's, it's not that it becomes useless, but it certainly is in a constant state of flux. Thank you very much. That's what I was looking for, that qualification. A constant state of flux change changes, it changes the, the word of the day, really. We talk about this all the time on all of our Game Changers shows. So thank you very much. And let me move around the table to Jan Philip Thompson at Salonis. And Jan has sent us a quote from William Blake, quite a beautiful quote. William Blake, 1757 to 1827, English poet, painter, and printmaker. Most people didn't know too much about him when he was alive, but now he's considered a major figure in the history of poetry and visual arts of the Romantic Age. He actually, uh, Jan, you might find this interesting, Blake was placed number 38 in the BBC poll of the 100 Greatest Britons back in 2002. So something he did resonated with people, even though it was after he passed. Here is the quote, A fool sees not the same tree as a wise man sees. Jan Philip Thompson, welcome. How are you? Hello, and thank you very much for having me. Delighted. Um, that was a very interesting, 
statistics. I didn't know it was. Um, I didn't know that statistic uh, around William Blake. <laughs> yeah, and as a matter of fact, he's been called the greatest artist Britain has ever produced by the 20th century critic Jonathan Jones. Isn't that interesting? Not too many people knew about him when he was alive, but boy, I'd love to see the value of his painting and his prints after after he passed. So anyway, very. I'm glad we all learned something together. So Jan, talk to me about this quote, a fool sees not the same tree as a wise man sees. Beautiful quote. Go ahead. Absolutely, yeah. And so the reason I think it's so interesting is that, you know, personally, but also professionally, you know, I think it's important um, you know, to not always accept things for the way they are and not just accept the status quo. And I think it's always, you know, about keep, to keep on trying out new things, about becoming better um, and, and taking new directions and, and also be daring, which, of course, at the same time uh, can also mean to sometimes be foolish. But if you think about it, you know, if, if also if others hadn't been foolish in the past, um, you know, we would now today be foolish. So I think it's, you know, it's really about daring to progress, but also, you know, daring to make mistakes and learn from them. Um, I think, you know, and we need to uh, all together, you know, we just think bigger, dream bigger, um, you know, and it, and it relates also, if you think about um, the topic today, I think it relates to thinking of a super fluid, intelligent enterprise, right, which is automated, which is constantly improving itself, you know, in, in an intelligent way, and and some people might call that foolish if they if they say look at you know how work is being done in the past and uh, but I think you know really having um, that vision and, and and working towards that vision and being daring is is what really uh, I think uh, we all should be doing and um, so to you know to that quote um, what I would say is you know to to the wise again foolishness. Uh, is wisdom, right? That's another way of interpreting it. Hmm. So um, I think it's a very interesting quote um, that you know uh, really also mo- motivates me when thinking about it. Thank you very much. That's very, very interesting. Uh, interestingly enough, when we think about wise men today, Jan, we think about often the people we hope are wise, the visionaries, the disruptors, the people, perhaps millennials, perhaps people who've been working in big companies and small companies for quite a while, seeing what's happening, acknowledging the disruption, the bots, the AI, the machine learning, saying, yes, it's a new era, it's a new age. Do you think that culturally, you know, Companies talk, Jan, about change management. Do you think that change management can help the people who are, I'll just say, stuck in a rut or not willing to acknowledge disruption? Do you think that the wise men can say to to, to the fools, uh, open your eyes, open your mind, we have to move in this direction. That's not just a tree. That's a bot inside of a tree, and it's going to help move our customer experience exponentially. Do you think change management can help this? Absolutely. I think it's actually even, you know, um, and, and, and a requirement for it. I think it's very, very important to have the right change management in place, right? Um, because, I, you know, I think it's um, one, one can't just say, you know, because somebody has been working in a different way for 30 years, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, that uh, they're, they're fools for that in itself. Um, I would really say, you know, uh, let's uh, really um, make sure to drive change together, right? So whether it's the younger generation as well as, uh, you know, any, so any type of generation, any kind of experience or background, uh, I think change management is absolutely important. And this is also what we see, you know, when working uh, in, in our daily life together with uh, consulting companies. I mean, these are big, big projects 
uh, we see out there. So, yeah, I, I fully agree. Thank you very much. Pleasure to have you on the air. We'll find out a little bit more about you in a few minutes. And let's bring our third panelist on, mm-hmm. Keith Grayson at SAP. And Keith Grayson has picked a quote from another Keith. That doesn't very often happen, Mr. Grayson. This happens to be Keith Richards, who is still alive and probably kicking. 1943 was his birthday. English musician, singer-songwriter, and everybody knows him as the co-founder, the guitarist, occasionally the lead, but usually the backing vocalist, and the co-principal songwriter of, wait for it, the Rolling Stones. Rolling Stone magazine called Keith Richards the creator of rock's greatest single body of riffs on guitar and ranked him the fourth on its list of the 100 best guitarists in 2011. And they listed 14 songs that he wrote with the Stones, with Mick Jagger, of course, among the 500 greatest songs of all time list. There you go. So here's the quote. If you say I'm great, Thank you very much, but you know what I am. I could be better, man, you know. <laughs> Keith Grayson, I wish I could sing it, but I'm not going to. Nobody would listen. We'd, we'd lose the show. Do you want to sing the lyrics, Keith? <laughs> <laughs> not much, no. <laughs> anyway, it's that dry delivery that he has, you know. You, you, if you say I'm great, thank you very much. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> and it needs the accent. <laughs> Oh, okay. Shall I, shall I try it again? If you say I'm great, thank you very much. But you know what I am. Could be better, man. You know. Oh, is that terrible yeah, too? Great. <laughs> Talk to me. How in the world did you pick a Keith Richards quote for a show about bots and digital transformation? I love, I love music quotes on the show. So you made me happy. Go ahead, Keith. What does that have to do with our topic? Cool. So, so first of all, I want to do a guitar quote. I'm a keen guitar player. You just have to ask my colleagues about the late night sing-alongs that we have in hotel lobbies and bars with Nima travel guitar and my portable amplifier. So, so I want to do a guitar quote. And I like this quote because I think it talks that sort of tortured genius mentality that the greats really have. You know, no guitar player that I've ever met is going to tell you that they've mastered the instrument. They, even the greats, they, they all have other players that they learn from. They acknowledge their influences that made them want to pick up the guitar and, and practice for hour after hour. So, if, so my experience is that just playing guitar and listening back to recordings especially, it really teaches you humility. And, and you've got to have a desire for continuous improvement in practice. And I think that that's exactly the mindset that you also need to apply to business and, and that you need to have to create great, optimal business processes and to make great business decisions because um, you need that sense of humility. You need to have that, that feedback to move to this data-driven mm-hmm. approach and, and think of it as, a, as an enabler rather than a threat. Yeah, I appreciate that. And by the way, if you're traveling with your guitar, I may have to bring my drums. I need a travel drum set because I'm a drummer now. So (laughs) I might have to plug me in somewhere on a on a speaker when you're doing your late night riffs with your with your chums on business travel. But we'll we'll talk about that (laughs) off air. Seriously, and I'm I'm planning to uh, learn. I started playing um, the Rolling Stones, "Paint It Black." 
because I'm planning to play at an open mic here in, in Durham, North Carolina tomorrow night with a couple of guitar players who asked me if I would do the drums on Paint It Black. And it's a very, very, very fast song to drum. So I've just yeah. been, the sticks are just wailing away on my drum kit today trying to figure it out between radio shows. I think I can do it. I think I can do it. I think I can do it. So that's interesting. A question. When I started started the show, Keith, I started talking about emotion-based versus data-driven decision-making. Do you? Th- and let me go around the panel. I'll start with you, Keith, and then David, and then Jan. Do you think that offends people who might be listening, saying, what do you mean? I'm a business person. I use data. How, how dare you, con- you, you consider that I make emotional decisions? Do you think that's an offensive idea, or is it just reality check? Keith? I think it's a bit of a reality check. And it's really interesting because as you use these sorts of techniques um, like process mining that really offer new insights, um, it's absolutely true that that some people are not comfortable with the level of what I call brutal transparency that it can give. It It can really uncover some interesting results where, you know, things aren't working quite as well as they should or people are just making the wrong decisions at certain points of time. But to, to actually get results from that, you, you need to move to a culture that doesn't blame, that, that just takes the data, digests it, moves on. So it's as much a cultural thing as a, as, as a, as a threat or business topic. Thank you. Thank you for that that reality check. I appreciate that. Let's go around the table before I find out a little more about who you all are, where you're calling from, or where we reached you, what you love to drink. I warned you about that one, and what you do. So, David Lynch at Bearing Point, agree or disagree about the concept of, is it just a, a, re, a realistic and much-needed reality check to compare decision-making on the emotion-based versus the data-driven? What's your point of view, please? So I, I don't think it's an either or really, Bonnie. I think um, okay. you know. I think first of all, it, it's not just data or emotions. I mean, I think people would say that that experience would play a big part in terms of the decision making. Um, you know, decisions wouldn't necessarily be made by alone. You could have an element of of joint decision making with a number of people contributing their experiences. Emotions certainly plays a part. Mm-hmm. But I think you know most most decisions um, will be made you know, enabled by um, data rather than purely based on data, certainly the more the serious, serious decisions in a business. So I think the data can really be used to make decisions automatically at a lower level in the business. At a higher level, I think it's a combination of lots of factors. But, but the more informed the decision is by data, the better. Thank you very much. Good direction we're going. And Jan Philip Thompson at Salonis, uh, what do you think? Emotion, decision, decision making, data driven, where do you sit? Is this something that people need to be called, uh, hold up the mirror to them and say, wait a minute, we need more data in this? It's, it's too personally driven? What do you think? So, you know, I also personally think, you know, emotions have uh, or are often been now constantly left out of uh, the decision making uh, because we believe that uh, emotions get in the way of, of good decisions, right? Um, but I think, you know, that idea is not in, also not entirely true. So I think actually, um, you know, I think to make the most out of what any kind of data processing and technology solution um, uh, offer is really, um, and that support this decision-making, is you need to also recognize the, you know, emotional, say, emotional intelligence as a key 
input to, um, to good decisions as well, right? So it's really about data enabling good decisions, mm-hmm. but then decision makers with high emotional intelligence are, are very good at, you know, understanding and managing their emotions, have all the stakeholders involved, and um, therefore, you know, uh, I think it's, it's actually a, a decision-making mix, and we shouldn't leave emotions entirely out of the, out of the equation. Thank you. I think we have a, a pretty good consensus here. On that note, David Lynch, I'm circling back around the table to you, sir, and I have three questions for you. Number one, where are you today? Country, state, region, ocean, river, village, town, anything like that. Yeah. Number two, what's your, and number two is what's your favorite drink in the whole world that makes you feel good about going to work every day or after work, if you wish? And number three is what do you do at Bearing Point? So, David Lynch, let's get to know you a little better, please. Okay, so where I am is a little bit of all of the above that you mentioned. Um, so, I'm in <laughs> Dublin. Um, so Dublin is, uh, you know, it's the capital city of Ireland. It's um, beside the sea, um, also beside the mountains. It's a very, very nice place to live. We're um, on the east coast of Ireland with a population of about 1.8 million people and um, permanent residents. But we have, a, uh, we have a, a large number of tourists here at all times as well. It's a very popular place to visit. And also, Bonnie, a very good um, city for music. So somewhere where you can maybe come and practice your drums at some point. Oh, love to. I'll be on the next flight, maybe. (laughs) 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 Got to bring the drums. Now I'll borrow one when I get there. And what do you love to drink, David? So, well, right now, uh, it's a little bit boring, but right now I'm drinking strong hot tea because I'm still in the office. And nothing, nothing fancy, just regular kind of blended tea. Mm-hmm. But this Sunday, um, this coming Sunday, is St. Patrick's Day, which is our national holiday here in Ireland. Yes. And mm-hmm. so I might try something a little stronger then, maybe a pint of Guinness or a glass of Jameson whiskey or something like that, maybe. I like the idea of that. Yes, is there a, a, a pint of something? Is that, um, what would be that, what would be in the pint? Can you give us a brand? Uh, yeah, Guinness, probably. So that'd Guinness, be kind of okay. That would be the most popular, the most popular um Alcoholic drink here, probably a beginner's, I'd say. Okay, good to know. And tell us, what's your role at Bearing Point? I worked with a colleague of, probably a former colleague of yours in one of my previous roles at another company. I remember somebody came from Bearing Point. We can talk offline about that. So what do you okay. do there? What does Bearing Point do, please? So I'm a partner with Bearing Point, and we're a European headquartered consulting firm. We've got about 4,300 employees, so we're kind of a mid-sized consulting firm. We work globally. Um, and we, we have uh, global partners that we work with on kind of more worldwide engagements. Our focus really is on delivering business transformation for our clients. And, you know, we would usually do that in conjunction with technology. So we'd normally be involved in technology projects, but we're treating those really as business transformation projects, not just IT implementations. And I guess part of our approach is to help clients define and deliver real benefits for their business. My own focus is uh, very much on business applications. So really my entire career has been spent, you know, in the realm of enterprise resource planning, customer relationship management, and, and, and human resources management systems. And I guess, you know, as part of that, I focus very much on business processes. And I often see opportunities for automation, and I'm often trying to help clients you know, improve and harmonize processes and automate processes um, across their businesses. 
Thank you very much, David. I will tell you, I'm complimenting you right now. Your phone line is so incredibly clear. You're, it's almost <laughs> like you're right here in the room. So it's it's wonderful to speak with you from Dublin. We very seldom have guests from your part of the world, and so I'm happy to branch out. We, we have listeners all over the world, but uh, I'm interested in, in where you come from. So thank you so much. And let me move around the table, and let's get to know Jan Philip Thompson from Salonis, or Salonis, you have to correct me, please. And Jan, tell us, first of all, where are you today? Number two, what do you love to drink? And number three, what do you do at Salonis? Mm-hmm. Perfect. So Salonis is uh, perfectly pronunciated. Um, and so I am in Munich right now. So this is um, uh, one of our headquarters. We're headquartered in Munich and as well as New York. Munich is actually, uh, I mean, most people will know it from the Oktoberfest, right? But it's the capital of Bavaria. It has about 1.4 million Inhabitants and um, yeah is uh, you know, home to uh, to our company and, and I've been living here for ten years now and it's a great place mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah so the you know uh, the second question was around what I like to drink so mm-hmm. I personally like to get up very early in the morning so the first thing I do is then go get an uh, americano right this is a uh, uh, mm-hmm. like an espresso with a, diluted a little bit with hot water um, because, you know, for me, the taste, you know, it's a, a strong taste of, a, of an espresso will um, actually, that's what gets me going in the morning. Now, however, I want to also add to what David said. Um, <laughs> actually, tonight there's going to be a big soccer game here in, in, in Munich going on. We're playing Liverpool, um, and so that's where I also might uh, actually pick up a, a glass of beer as well. <laughs> Very nice. Well, you're certainly entitled to that. And tell me, what do you do at Salonis? So I'm responsible for business development as well as enablement at Salonis. So the business development side of things basically really covers uh, uh, developing new strategies, new approaches um, to, you know, to um, the way we see our, our, our market growing. So, you know, we are a technology company um, that really focuses on providing process mining technology, right? So maybe let me just briefly explain that before and then I say what, where, what I do in more detail. But it's just, um, you know, at Salonis, what we provide is business transformation software. Um, and that um, really what it does is it captures all kinds of data flowing through the operational systems of organizations. Um, and then it captures that data and with that, you know, allows to analyze processes, companies' processes, and turning those process insights uh, into action with this process mining technology. Um, and so, you know, on my end, business development, again, uh, developing new strategies with partners, uh, but also around new product offerings, new go-to-market. And then, of course, once we've developed these new things, we also want to roll them out into our growing organization. Right? We're hiring a lot of new people right now every month, so it's really about enabling everybody as well as uh, on all the updates and all the new uh, developments uh, that we have every day. Thank you very much. Pleasure to get to know you. And now let's move a little bit further around the table. Keith Grayson at SAP. Keith, same three questions. Where are you in the world today? What do you love to drink? Morning, noon, and night. Whatever kind of a beverage menu you'd like to share with us. And we've had some very interesting comments from your colleagues on the panel. And what is your role at SAP? Go ahead, Keith. Thanks, Bonnie. So I'm going to combine um, David and, and, and Jan's 
uh, comments because I'm British. So, so uh, I, okay, actually, I should start off from where I am at the moment. So where I am mm-hmm. at the moment is in my home office in a small town called Fleet in Hampshire in the UK. And the interesting thing about Fleet is actually it fairly regularly it gets voted, or the region that we're in, Hart, fairly regularly gets voted as one of the best places to live in the UK. So it's nice, and I, I find it good because it's easy to get to London from here. I'm about 40 minutes from Heathrow Airport. So it's a, a nice, convenient sort of com- commuter town. Um, in terms of drinking, that's where I was getting on to. I was just fixated mm-hmm. about that. So um, I'm British, so obviously I drink tea. But yes. actually, it's coming up to beer o'clock in the UK. So <laughs> I thought I should talk about this unique UK institution, the Campaign for Real Ale, that I'm a proud member of. So, so they promote real ale, which to foreigners is this flat, warm or we'd actually say cellar temperature beer that's served from a hand pump in British pubs and I'm a certified taster and as part of that I help out the beer festivals in my area Um, and I can tell you it's a lot better being behind the bar um, than (laughs) in the crowd in front of the bar not least of which because you get free beer and uh, you can also have small samples of it throughout the event (laughs) like what I do um, Glad to what hear I do that. Yeah, what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> so what I do at SAP is I am part of a solution management team, and I've got global responsibility for a portfolio of products that deal with information management and business process excellence. And people have this impression that SAP is a bit of a closed box, but really the products that I deal with are the ones that make the SAP ecosystem communicate with all the other third-party applications that exist in enterprises. Thank you very much. And Keith, you're the second panelist this week. This is my fourth live show in two days for Game Changers Radio. And somebody mentioned Bureau Clock yesterday on one of my shows. And I just looked it up. I had to Google it. Just, you gentlemen, just give me a pass here for this. There is a bar in Portland, Oregon on uh, Southwest Washington Street called Bureau Clock. Seriously. There is a uh, BureauClockGR.com. I don't know what, it looks like it's a pub. It's in the Urban Dictionary. Another way of saying time for a drink is Bureau Clock. There's a Facebook page called Bureau Clock. There is a website called Bureau Clock Australia, which they're going to be calling the Year of the Local. There's a Bureau Clock on Wiktionary. Uh, There's a website called is it bureauclock.com? I'm not kidding. And they have something called Beer Over IP. Can you believe that, Keith? Beer uh, Over IP? So, so we know that there's a beer o'clock somewhere, everywhere in the world right now. <laughs> Absolutely. And there's something called bureauclock.in, and it's a handy tool to answer the most important question of the day How long until bureau clock? <laughs> to stop. There's a mobile app for that, too. Uh, I will tell the three of you that I'm safely ensconced in my office here in Durham, North Carolina. Moved here a year and a half ago from Long Island, New York. I am not allowed to have caffeine on radio show days, and I think you all know why. Definitely not a beer. That way we wouldn't be able to have a show. But I'm drinking a, a cool, clear mug of cool, clear water as I look out on what's supposed to be almost spring, almost winter. Our temperatures here range in Fahrenheit degrees from perhaps 24 degrees overnight, which is way below freezing to 76 degrees in the afternoon. I can't get used to this 
40, 50 degree temperature range in the course of a day. How do you dress? How do you think? Anyway, it's going very well. Thank you very much. We're talking about a serious topic, but I must say I have three very, very smart, very savvy, and also extremely charming panelists today. I'm allowed to say that. David Lynch at Bearing Point, Jan Philip Thompson at Salonis, and Keith Grayson at SAP. We're talking about will bots drive business transformation. We're looking at whether decision-making still needs to have the human-slash-emotional input as well as the data-driven input and what's happening with machine learning, artificial intelligence, and who are the bots who are really going to be driving the business decisions. So we're going to take a quick break because I need one, even though it's late in the hour. We're going to take a sip of something, gentlemen, at your own risk, and we're going to come back, and David Lynch and I will pick a topic while we're off air for diving in a deep dive into our roundtable segment of the show. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. I promise we'll be back in 90 seconds. Maybe it's beer o'clock. I don't know. Aaron, out. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Insights from totally new sources of data, sensors that capture and share what is happening in your business environment, and the tools to understand it and act on it. These are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. Internet of Things with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Internet of Things with Game Changers. Here we are. We're back and we're talking about a serious topic, but we're having a little fun with it. Will bots, that's B-O-T-S, you know what those are, drive business transformation for your company. Uh-huh. We're speaking with David Lynch at Bearing Point, Jan Philip Thompson at Salonis, and Keith Grayson at SAP. And I promised you I would still be bonding when we came back, and I am. David Lynch has told me the following before the show. This is where we're going to start our formal roundtable. It will be brief because we're deep into the hour already, but let's talk about this. David said, in many organizations, business processes have evolved rather than having been designed. I don't know whether that's, as I like to call it, a reality check, David, or whether that's damning. So what do you think? Why don't you give us a little more background on this, and then we'll see what Jan and Keith have to say. Go ahead. Sure. I, I think, Bonnie, it's, it's just reality. Um, you know, in my role, I suppose, 
one of the privileges I've had is to be able to work with many, many companies over the course of my career, and, and this, in my opinion, is, is absolutely true. I think um, processes evolve in organizations, and I think it's the processes that are really business critical and differentiate the organizations that they compete with that evolve to be you know, really efficient and, and, and you know, really support the business. And the rest usually are not, you know, usually can be improved greatly. And, you know, my, in my experience, we often improve those processes by helping clients to adopt leading practices or best practices for their industry. Now, the, the same is true of roles, actually, which people often forget. Every time we talk about a process, you have to think about a role and you have to think about somebody's job. And they also, you know, are evolving rather than having been designed. So I think in the past, you know, businesses evolved very, very slowly. And, you know, companies had time to react to, to changes and to competition. Now that's really, really speeding up all the time. And, you know, with new technologies, businesses are now having to evolve far faster than they ever did in the past. So, yep. um, you know, what, 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 I'm find, what we're finding is that, you know, the use of big data is now becoming more and more important because if you have to change your processes very, very quickly, it's very important to understand where you're starting from and to manage that change and to manage the change to people's jobs. And that's where process mining, you know, plays a very, very big part. So we're increasingly using process mining with clients and talking to, talking to clients about how to, how to understand their business using process mining. Because if you think about it, you know, all their systems have event logs that record exactly what happens throughout, throughout the process, how long it takes, what the throughput time is. And now because of process mining technology and big data, they can actually see exactly what happens in their business. And that can lead to some surprising, um, you know, variety of, of paths that they didn't actually know existed. And that can lead to opportunities for automation, for RPA, for bots, et cetera, et cetera, to close those gaps. Thank you very much. Very good overview of this. Let's move around the table to Jan Philip Thompson at Salonis. Jan, agree or disagree? Any shades of meaning you'd like to add to what David said? Yeah, I, I think that um, today, organizations we're seeing today, right, that they can't manage their customers' expectations anymore. I mean, they're constantly involving, uh, you know, we, we all know, for example, if we get into, you know, if we get into an Uber and, uh, and, and there's something like a ticket we want to create because something has gone wrong with that Uber drive, we expect a response, you know, and we actually also get a response uh, within, within the hour, right? And I think um, this is what, you know, a, a lot of these, Things we've been seeing in the whole B two B two C area are now being expected from companies, also in the B two B space, right? So this is typically what you say, you know, in a, uh, five years after trends have evolved in the B two C area, they will come to the B two B area. So uh, um, evolving fast, yes, absolutely, and I think it's um, critical to to manage that change and be on top of be basically on top of that change, on top of the wave, basically, right? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, this is, um, as David said, you know, using technologies like process mining will help to have, you know, that uh, transparency over how, how things are evolving and how and, and where also to, to improve or to adjust processes if necessary um, to be able to meet those, those customer expectations. So, um, you know, I think that's uh, absolutely critical today. And, Actually, this is where I'd say, you know, a, a purely emotion-based, um, you know, decision-making would, would not work anymore, right? So this is where uh, if, if you ask 10 people uh, in, a, in a company about what they would want to improve in the process, 
guess how many answers you get? You get 10 different answers, of course, right? Mm-hmm. So there's, of course, gut feelings, opinions, politics could be involved, so company politics. Um, yep. So, you know, this is where being smart around, you know, data-driven decisions uh, will really help uh, to expedite decision makings and being able to keep up with those expectations. Thank you. Keith Grayson, love to get your thoughts on this as well. Chime in, please. Yeah, so I, I really loved David's observation about the, the fact that in a lot of organizations, business processes have evolved rather than having been designed. Um, and I think that's really true. And it's certainly the experience that I get when we, because SAP is all about business processes and, and what I do day to day is to talk to people about their business processes. And often you see that and often a consequence of that is that um, because of the evolution, documentation maybe hasn't kept up or maybe actually certain elements were never documented and they, they're kept in the heads of some of the people who do some of the most critical tasks. Um, but then on the other hand, of course, SAP provides a lot of best practices for implementing business processes for multiple industries and for multiple areas. So things like auditor cash, things like procure to pay, when you, when you deploy SAP, there are best practice business processes. And, and they provide a, a basis for a lot of organizations, but maybe organizations then take those and apply some institutional knowledge, um, insert some steps that only certain people have a knowledge of. They haven't documented it. And so I think that you're, you're approaching it from different areas. And we talk to some customers and they say, well, actually, you know what, we, we mostly deploy the SAP standard process for something, um, in which case y- you can potentially do some analysis about whether they actually, using data, whether they actually conform to those best practices that they think are, are vanilla best practices that they've taken um, from their applications. Um, and equally, for their differentiating processes that are key and unique to them, you know, um, we need to look at how they document it, how they change it, um, and see how robust that is. Thank you very much, Keith. Let's go back to David. Any thoughts on what your co-panelists have shared, David, before I move on to something very interesting in Jan's notes? You know, I, I think I would just, just add, I think, that um, you know, these things are, uh, it, this isn't a one-off view. These things are constantly evolving. So once you, once you actually look at your processes and define how you want to do things, say adopt a best practice process like Keith, like Keith was talking about, you know, the moment you do that, it starts to change and it starts to evolve. So I think, you know, the continuous improvement approach here is, is really, really important, that this is something you're not doing as a one-off, but, but you're, you're constantly looking at. Thank you very much. Jan, I'm looking at your notes here, and I want to bring in another very human part here. You say, as a result of decision fatigue, people often take shortcuts and make incorrect decisions or don't decide at all, which is indecision. I think that might have been part of my opening about not deciding. You say automation is a great way to fix this in scenarios that don't necessarily require emotional intelligence. You can give us some examples, John, of how bots would work on this. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, first of all, you know, what I mean by this is right when, 
company employees, right, they make many, many decisions every day, right? And I mean, what we could all agree on is, you know, the quality of decisions, you know, the more you need to make, the more that quality might uh, deteriorate, deteriorate, right? And so this is what I mean with, uh, with uh, decision fatigue, and, and this is something that you could actually fight with, you know, process improvement um, and, and, and automation. So, um, you know, people would, might take shortcuts or, you know, just uh, manual errors involved in a process, um, or, or, you know, don't decide at all. That's called, you know, this is in making or indecisions, basically, right? Um, and so um, there are basically um, many scenarios within business processes today, right, where um, emotional intelligence is not necessarily required. So mundane, repetitive tasks, right? And so, um, you know, what, what you can do or what, what we see organizations doing is leveraging that transparency that you get into those processes uh, with process mining technology, for example, to be able to identify where do we have these tasks which are highly repetitive um, and, you know, activities that not necessarily, you know, require creativity and emotional intelligence at all. Um, and then that's, where, then that's where automation, you can identify basically potentials for automation, and that would be a great way to, to fight and fix decision uh, fatigue and, and human error in that sense, um, and which then at the end of the day really would help a uh, company to improve its operations, but also not only that, but uh, help employees basically um, you know, to be more satisfied by just focusing on things where they can uh, really um, you know, uh, get their satisfaction from, and that really requires their emotional intelligence as well. Thank you. Keith Grayson, join us. Agree or disagree about this decision fatigue that Jan just talked about and how bots can come to the rescue? What's your observation? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting take on it, actually. Um, it's sort of speaking to the fact that people just get bombarded with you know, requests for um, you know, the same thing day in, day out, all of the time. And the fact that a lot of these things can just uh, be managed through simple rules. Um, and, yeah, if you have too many of those things, sometimes you can miss out the details. And, and for sure, in some cases, if you have the data available, um, a rule-based system can do that sort of easy, simple decision-making a lot faster. And and the point is also that, that when you introduce people into the loop, you're always going to get a delay. People might not be maybe in meetings. They may not be able to access their mobile devices. Um, so it can certainly, for, for those easy decisions that you can express as rules, make it faster, more efficient, better informed in some cases. Thank you. David Lynch, join us. When we finish your comment, David, we're going to go quickly into the predictions round, and I will start with you. So just your comment on the idea of idea fatigue or decision-making fatigue and where, where bots and automation come in, please. Sure. I, I think um, so. I think it's a very, very good point, and I, I, I agree with the point. I think um, you know what, what we're going to see is is really a, a big change in jobs resulting from this. So we're going to see people, you know, having less repetitive work, more interesting work. And I think you know the the 2018 World Economic Forum 
feature of jobs report is very interesting reading and it, it, it actually predicts a range of jobs that will be new, jobs that will, will go away and jobs that will be stable. And if you look at that, you actually see that, you know, the future isn't bleak, as, as many people would fear. I think there is plenty of, um, plenty of interesting work for people to do, but I think that people's roles and jobs will, will change because of, you know, AI-based automated decision-making for more, um, for simpler, you know, less, less important decisions in the business. Thank you very much. Was your prediction wrapped in there? You want me to give you another 60 seconds for more, David? What do you think? <laughs> sure. sure no, well, I mean, my, my prediction is really that, that I, I, you know, I think um, that we're going to see a real, real transformation in terms of business. And I think that successful organizations in the future will be the ones that embrace a new culture. And that culture will really revolve around being agile, being able to react faster to competitors, uh, more automation, which leads to changes in jobs and roles, and people doing more creative, interesting jobs. Because I think you know th- there is a bit of a war for talent at the moment as well. Like you know, oh, yeah. it, you know people people have a different perspective on what they want to do with their careers. Younger people, and I think you have to appeal to them, and you have to make jobs more interesting for them. Absolutely. You know, millennials are now in their mid-30s. They're not the kids anymore. They're not the new kids on the block. They've got money. They've got discretionary spending. They're in positions of management. They are ingrained in so many companies now. So it's interesting. And David, just a sidebar here quickly. Jan, get ready with your prediction, please. Um, David, I always get a kick out of hearing people say you need to respond faster because of competition and because of changing market. And if you sit down and do the math, and if every company responds faster to the competition, quote-unquote, and to the market dynamics, then everything is going to be faster, and then who comes out in front? That's a good thing because everybody escalates to success and to being a thriving business, but then we have another, we have a plateau, right, where everything is faster, mm. and then we have to create another reason to do more. So pardon me, I, I, when I hear that, I always smile and say, where does it end? Well, maybe it doesn't, so we're, we're on that treadmill. Mm. Thank you. Jan Philip Thompson, 60 seconds. Go ahead, predict, please. <laughs> All right, thank you. So, you know, I think what we'll be seeing is um, basically, you know, moving a little bit in the direction of, you know, from where we are right now, so using analytics, using insight, using transparency. Um, that's what I kind of, I use the analogy that's a, a navigation system. Let's say, you know, you're, you're in the car, you're driving, that's a navigation system. And I think um, where we will be moving to is a, you know, let's call it a super fluid enterprise where, you know, you gather information in real time, and at the same time, uh, in the, uh, you know, enterprise will be able to improve itself um, uh, you know, in, in that moment in real time. So if you think about the navigation system, right, you're, you're going somewhere on holidays, you're, you're using that navigation system. I think we're moving to the company's enterprises as being a self-driving car, right? So really being able to, to execute its own processes, and, and really you know, um, that requires a really different type of, or a lot of new jobs that will be created for that, right, and a lot less jobs in certain processes that, you know, can be executed by a superfluid enterprise. So I definitely see that coming. So enterprise, yeah, this is intelligent enterprise, superfluid enterprise um, is what we'll be seeing a lot more of. Thank you very much. Keith Grayson, you get the last word. 90 seconds. I give you a whole 90 seconds, Keith. Go ahead. What do you predict on a, a pure business thought leadership level of what do you predict for bots driving business transformation? Fab, buddy. Thank you. Um, so 
So I just start off with where we are now, which almost seems like the future today. I'm just doing my expenses. I take a, a, a picture of the receipt. Automatically, it understand, the app I have understands the language and starts filling in the expense claim for me, and then I submit it on my mobile device. And that, for me, almost seems like the future because I certainly don't understand... Uh, when my receipt is written in Hebrew, even what I bought or where it was or when it was. So, um, you know, and so all of these opportunities of, of handling multiple languages instantly with technology through platforms and, and artificial intelligence is fantastic. And, and then the question is, what does it, that actually really look like in 2025? So I liked what Jan said about the, the superfluid enterprise because superfluidity means that you're using the best thing to make the right decisions at the right time. And sometimes mm -hmm. that's going to be people. And sometimes that is going to be machines. And sometimes it's going to be using techniques like machine learning. So um, I think that that idea where you don't actually know whether you're dealing with a person or whether you're dealing with a machine, you know, we're, we're pretty much on the cusp of that now. And I think that that, that trend is just going to grow. Um, but then you've always got to have people who, at the end of the day, create these rules, deliver things, run um, the operations behind it. So I still think there's a a role for, for people there. I mean, I didn't even know that my job existed when I was growing up. So There it, you go. Things Our change. jobs... Our jobs didn't. Keith, I have to shut this down. Thank you so much, David Lynch at Bearing Point, Jan Philip Thompson at Salonis. I did keep that middle name for you, and Keith Grayson at SAP. Shout out to Aaron Keller, our engineer extraordinaire at World Talk Radio, the business channel. And I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. Also, Arsha Arvandi uh, helped put together this topic and this panel. Arsha, great job. And a shout out to Ru Ja, who, who works on the, the DDM team. Ru has been putting this together for a long time, and she's about to become a mommy again so we send you love and hugs Rue there you go it's official so here we go here's my shout out fasten your seatbelt what are you waiting for go out and be a game changer today just like David Lynch at Bearing Point just like Jan Philip Thompson at Salonis and just like Keith Grayson at SAP Bonnie D. Graham signing off have a great rest of your week we'll be back with more live shows next week bye bye Thanks again for tuning in to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.